and we began our Lenten series on brokenness and blessing by looking at God's creation and how out of the creation story, God looked at humanity that he'd created and said, you are very good. You're stamped in my image, made to reflect uh, my nature in my creation. Then we then saw, though, the story in the garden and how God set boundaries and said, listen, if you want to stay in the place of blessing, you need to stay near me. Instead, Adam and Eve chose rebellion, and in their rebellion, they fell into sin and evil, and that evil continued to bear fruit with their children when Cain killed Abel. It continued to bear fruit that led to what would become uh, Noah's Ark and the flood of the world, and God restarting humanity with the, a family of eight. And so at this point in the story, things look bad. Humanity, even though it was made good in God's image, is, we talked about last week, totally broken in sin, totally broken in disobedience. So as human beings, we talked about how sort of our journey in life is learning how to let go of the brokenness in our past and in our present and instead center our lives in the blessing of God with the help of Jesus' salvation and the Holy Spirit. So as we move into this week, one other episode has happened. That's the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, um, right after the flood, people once again begin building this tall, what you'd call a ziggurat, to heaven. The idea was in the ancient world that by building these structures, you could bring God down to earth, and then if you could get God down to earth, then God would bless, uh, bless your efforts, bless your culture, bless your city or your work. And uh, so as they built this edifice, uh, God looked down and said, ooh, um, I don't want them to control me for their own glory. And so therefore, we're going to cast them out. We're going to turn them into different nations. We're going to teach some to speak French and others uh, Creole and others Spanish and English. And we're going to teach others to speak Swahili and Ukrainian and Slavic and all these different languages. And I'm going to spread them out over the whole earth so that we can kind of temper maybe their evil for a while. In the midst of that, the question now should become, if you're reading this story for yourselves, okay, God, what's next? You've already wiped out the world with a flood, and we're still a mess, we're still broken. How, oh God, are you going to fix this? And that brings us to Genesis chapter 12. And when God chose to change the world, he looked to find just one person. It only took one. And when he found that one person, the world began to head in a new direction. And so here's how the story goes. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. And I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. 
And Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, help me lift you up in your heart, in the work of your Father, in our lives and in our world. And when you call our name and tell us to leave, give us the faith of Abraham to say yes. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, things are looking very bleak at this point in Genesis. And when we get to chapter 12, God does something new. And the new thing he does is he finds this fella Abraham and he offers him a deal that he can't refuse. He says, if you leave your country, your people, your father's house, and go to the land I'll show you, I'll turn you into a great nation. I'll bless you, I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. And brothers and sisters, this moment in history was a pivotal moment in the fight against evil with goodness. And in that pivotal moment, God chose one man to be his counterpunch for evil in our hearts and lives. Why did he choose Abraham? He chose Abraham because he found in Abraham someone who, when he asked to do something, would say, okay, Lord, yes, let's go do it. Because let me remind you, what he offers here for Abraham is Abraham has got to take a big risk. He's got to leave his clan. He's got to leave his family. He's got to leave everything he has known for his entire life behind. He has to break out on his own and head to a new place and a new direction and do something new. And that's not always easy to do. This story reminds me of one of my favorite stories from J.R.R. Tolkien, a children's story about a little hobbit in a hole. You know the story of Bilbo Baggins, the hobbit in the hole? He loved his hole. He loved the comforts of the hole. He loved uh, the pleasures and joy of just hanging out at Bag Inn and Hobbiton and never having to go anywhere, never having to do anything he didn't want to do. He was a bachelor who just loved living in his hole. And all that changed one day when there became a little knock at the door and two dwarves arrive and then a little while, and he has no idea who these dwarves are, uh, Five minutes later, two more dwarves arrive, and two more, and two more. And by the end of it, 13 dwarves are in his house. He has no idea why they're there. He wishes they would leave because they have just come and bothered his whole day. Finally, Gandalf shows up and says, Didn't you get my memo, Bilbo? We're having a meeting at your house today. And so they sit there in that meeting, and they offer Bilbo... They tell Bilbo, listen, there are 13 of us dwarves. We're going on an adventure. We don't like the number 13. We need a 14th person. And uh, this wizard here says, you're the guy. Now, we don't see it because you're this tall, and you don't seem to want to leave your hole, and, and you seem kind of cranky for some reason. Um, but Gandalf says, you're the guy. And so the, this story is, I think, I think Tolkien must have read Abraham's story and said, huh, that, that would make a great story. And so he turned Bilbo into it. The next day morning, Bilbo wakes up. The house is quiet. Everybody's gone. And he thinks, oh, praise. Uh, I just made everything up. It was just a bad dream. 
But then he looks at his mantle, and on his mantle is this long contract scroll. And it says, Mr. Bilbo Baggins, if you want to go on an adventure with us, you will get a 14th of whatever spoils we get. Just sign your name at the bottom and join us outside, you know, a couple of miles away. And in that moment, Bilbo Baggins has to make a decision. Is my heart and life so wrapped up here in the Shire and in Bag Inn and in my comfortable hobbit hole that maybe the best thing for me to do is just stay here and be comfortable? Well, if you know the story or seen the movie, he makes that choice against his better judgment, I think, and decides that for him this day he will go on an adventure. And it, as they say in the movie, You've seen the movie, he's running down the street with this long scroll in his hand. And uh, as he runs down the street, somebody says, Bilbo, where are you going? He says, I'm going on an adventure. And so he goes, not knowing how much that adventure will change his life. And so that's what Abraham's facing, the same kind of deal. And with the same spirit of faith, Abraham looks up, steps out, and says, okay, God, let's go do it. Now, what St. Augustine points out in this story, St. Augustine, who lived in 400 AD, one of the great theologians of the church, what he points out in this story is this, that at this point in the story, God has offered Abraham nothing except promises. And so the moment Abraham steps outside his door, there is no guarantee about anything. God hasn't done squat for Abraham yet. He is stepping out of his house in faith that God who makes promises will keep his promises. And so he steps out his door into adventure to find out what God's blessing will take on and look like. And so for us in our lives, we as well, we have a chance to live life and find God's great adventure for us and for our families. It's just as available for you and for me as it was for Abraham of old. And it's never too late to begin. I mean, hey, Abraham started at 75. So, you know, you can kind of start anytime. When God calls your name, you just got to be ready to step out in faith and go. But to do that, uh, what Henry Blackaby reminds us again from the, the study experiencing God, that in these kind of moments, two things are happening and there's two decisions that we have to make. Those two decisions are this. First is we have a crisis of belief. And the second thing is, is to that crisis of belief, if we're going to go with God, we have to make adjustments to our lives and to do what God wants us to do. And that's how faith works. So in this moment, in this crisis of belief, what we do next both tells us and tells God and tells others what we really believe about who he is, about what he wants to do in our lives and in our families. So when that moment comes, it's a hard moment, hard decision, hard to figure out. Um, those are the moments where if we have heard God's voice, we're able to say yes, we begin to see, hey, I'm saying yes because I believe God does have blessing for me on the other side. 
And in order to say yes, we have to make those life adjustments. We have to be willing to go out the door and begin heading down the road to see where the Lord will take us next. And in that next, we find what he writes about God's blessing. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 2. It's pretty clear to me that in this story that uh, if Abraham had stayed home that day and said, I like being home just fine, if that had been Abraham's choice, could he have been made into a great nation? No. The only way God could turn Abraham's life and family into a great nation and a great people is if he obeyed the Lord, got out the door, and headed to a new country with folks speaking a strange language and a strange dialect with people he didn't know and in a land he didn't feel familiar with. That was the only way for Abraham to inherit the blessing of a great nation. That was the only way for Abraham to inherit the, the great his own great name. I, I asked the early service this morning, what other names of people do you know of from about 1500 B.C.? Anybody can think of anybody else besides Abraham? I know I can't think of a whole lot of people. Maybe Hammurabi would be kind of around that time. Now, Egypt was really strong. Maybe you could name the name of a pharaoh from around that time. Uh, the, the pyramids by Abraham's day had been there several hundred years already. Abraham is after the pyramids. But, but can you think of another great name? Has God fulfilled his promises? Abraham's children became the Jewish people, the people of Israel, who still have millions of people around our world today, even though uh, Hitler tried to annihilate them. God was faithful to his promises, but Abraham only found the promises true when he obeyed and went out the door. And so the same is true with us. We've got to be willing to obey and step out our door and see what God will do next. If we do, we can find a great blessing. We can live a great adventure. We can find a blessing of joy, of success, of peace, of, of promise, of hope. And that doesn't mean there won't be challenges. That doesn't mean there won't be suffering. That doesn't mean there won't be crisis. But it means that in the midst of those things, we will know that God is there walking with us and working with us. And that is the great hope of living and placing your life in the center of God's blessing. Now, the second thing that he tells us, though, is this. Once you begin to live that life of God's blessing, once you begin to get out of your comfort zone, once you begin to step your foot out in faith to see what God will do next, the second piece is, is you've got to not hoard the blessing for yourself. If you try to hold on to and grasp God's blessing, it will spoil, it will stink, it will become muck and mire. The key story for this in the scripture is the story of the manna. You remember the children of Israel? They were out and, and they were gathering manna as the people. And, and uh, when they first found the flakes of bread on the ground, they'd pick them all up. And some thought, 
you know what? I'll get more than I need and I'll hoard it and save it for another day. And when they would hoard the blessing of manna the next day, it was smelly, it was stinky, it was full of maggots, and it was yucky. Because brothers and sisters, God doesn't bless you, God doesn't bless me for us. God blesses us to be a blessing. Amen? And so we've got to find a way to share our faith. We've got to find a way to share our joy. We've got to find a way to invest our resources. We've got to find a way to, to, to be sacrificial and to live sacrificial lives in a way that doesn't just bless our families but blesses others. Um, you know, so we're called to bless, be blessed to be a blessing. In that blessing, what God promises is his provision and protection. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And in that little verse is just a promise that God will provide for us, will be with us, and will protect us. When someone comes alongside us and is partners with us and works with us and serves with us, the Lord says, I'll bless them too just as I'm blessing you. When a critic comes alongside and says, well, you've got it wrong. You're a, we don't like you in this community. We wish you'd go somewhere else. We wish you would do something else. When, everybody, when every, any person would bring a curse against him, God says, well, that person instead will find their, their own lives being cursed. And so what, what God is promising here is a sense of protection that if we will stay in the center of God's will, if we will do what he asks, that he will go with us and watch out for us. Now again, it doesn't mean a perfect life. If we read Abraham's story, he had many crises and challenges and moments where he was afraid for his life. But ultimately, God watched out for him in those hard moments too. And God offers to do that for us. And then the very last part says, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Theologians call this God's bottom line of blessing. Remember we talked about last week, our world is broken by sin and evil and death and sickness. God, how are you going to fix it? What, Ab what God is promising Abraham in these verses is, Abraham, you are going to be my first step to bless the entire planet, to bless every single people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language. I just, I just divided up all the people into different languages so that they can't get along with each other and they can't talk to each other. I just did that because in you, you're going to help me find a way to bless all of them together through you. And we find that blessing in Abraham come through Jacob and his children. His children would become the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel would become the nation of Israel under the guidance of Moses crossing the Red Sea and entering the Promised Land. And that people would become a great nation of kings with King David and his children. 
And that nation would be God's people in a way that's unique on the planet, a way that would record God's acts in history in such a way that by the time of Jesus, we would begin to realize that there is one God and no other. The only country, the only people in the world who understood this dynamic of one creator God and no other was the people of Israel. It's into this that Jesus comes, lives, teaches, calls his disciples, dies on the cross, and is resurrected from the grave. And in that resurrection, conquers evil and death, giving it the final blow. We today live in light of kind of all that's happened. And we today are the body of Christ, like we talked about a month ago. And so we today are called not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing, not just to Conyers, but we're called to be a blessing to every person we meet, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look like, no matter what language they speak, we are to bless people here and around the world for God's glory. You see, God has a heart to see people come to saving grace. God has a heart to bring all God's people and all his children back into relationship with him. And that can only happen when folks like Abraham say, yes, I'll follow. See how you can change the world through my life. I know in my own life, it's been an incredible journey. If you told me as an eighth grader, a, a, a young, introverted, quiet, eighth grader that I'd be pastoring churches. I would have laughed. Said, what are you, crazy? There's no way. I, I don't know what I'm going to do as a career, but it won't be that. But yet it's been. And uh, my family, we've been blessed to serve four or five different great churches with great people, with great hearts of faith and lives. We've helped people grow closer to Jesus. We've done our best just to love and to serve and do all those things and in the midst God has been a blessing for us and in that blessing we've tried to be a blessing for the world and our prayer today for you whether you're 15 or 75 and you hear the Lord's voice and in that crisis of belief what are you going to say? What are you going to do? God has a great adventure for you. As I talk about Bilbo Baggins, for instance, um, he didn't know at the time that he walked out of his house that he would be the hero of the story. This little guy that had never fought a battle, never welded a sword, but God gave him the courage and the faith and the energy and the, the wisdom and the humor and the insight to save 13 dwarves' lives over and over and over and over again throughout the story. And he never would have been that hobbit had he not gone on the adventure. So will you go on God's adventure? I close with this story of a fellow who went on an adventure with the Lord. This comes from Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God study. He tells the story of Lynn Coster and Ruth Coster. 
Henry tells the story that Henry Blackaby, if, if you don't know his story, he was a church pastor up in Canada. Now, Canada has a lot of territory and a lot of small cities and villages and not a whole lot of churches. And so Henry's church felt called to try to plant new churches in new communities and territories all around. But they were a little, litty, they were a little bitty church. They didn't have a whole lot of money to do anything with. And so they had found this guy, Lynn and Ruth, and said, would you come be our mission outreach minister and help us plant churches all over Canada? And Lynn said, sure, we'll come. And then Henry gave him the news. Listen, Lynn, the only thing I can tell you, we want you to come. I have no money to pay you. Would you come anyway? Now, Lynn had worked as a bivocational pastor for years. He had worked at a gas station part-time and been a preacher part-time for 14 years. Over the course of that 14 years, they had saved $7,000 that they were looking forward to using to buy a house. And so they had a choice. Do we use this money to buy a house, or do we step out the door into God's adventure and see what might happen next? Now, Henry felt bad he couldn't pay him, and so... Uh, Lynn said to him, Henry, the God who has called me will help me. We'll take our $7,000, we'll use it to live on, and we'll just see what happens next. So Henry, don't worry about my support. He says when Lynn left, Henry fell on his face and wept. He said, Father, I don't understand why such a faithful couple should have to make this kind of a sacrifice in order to do what you want him to do. Henry Blackaby said, two days later, a letter came from a Presbyterian layman in British Columbia. It was a short letter, and this is all it said. I understand a man by the name of Lynn Coster is coming to work with you. God has laid it on my heart that I am to help support his ministry. So would you please give him this gift of $7,000? As Henry called Lynn and said, uh, Lynn, you're not going to have to use your house savings to come be our minister. God has provided another way. Henry says in that moment, he learned something about God. Lynn and Ruth learned something about God, and their church learned something about how God works and provides. And in that faith, they were able to move forward and see God do great things. What might God do with us? you'll go on an adventure with him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's go. Amen. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, um, I pray for us here. When you begin knocking at our hearts, Lord, when you begin giving us that itch, we just pray. Help us step out in faith, go through the doors, and see where you might lead. Lord, we've already prayed for Mark and Cindy, and they're showing us today that they're trying to follow that path too. And though it makes us sad, we give thanks for their faith that models for us your love and care. So Lord, for each of our lives, whether we're 15, 10, 25, or 75, give us faith that when we hear your voice, we will obey because we will believe that your blessing is best 
and that we will only allow that blessing to bless us as we are willing to share it with others and be generous and be gracious and be joyful. And Lord, most of all, help us have a heart that would love not only ourselves and our neighbors and our people, but Lord, give us a heart like yours, a heart for the world that is broken and lost and needs the good news of your love and presence that calls us home back into your heavenly garden once again. So Lord, help us put behind us our brokenness and let's follow you on this adventure of blessing. I pray in Jesus' name.